There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. I was in the darkest part I've ever been in with society had a little leg on top of my head. People say to me, no, I don't miss it at all. I'm like, okay, you're either very lucky or are you really being honest yourself? It's just a government again, similar to kind of the, the housing crisis. Like the roads are a disgrace. Join the conversation. Call 0818 969696. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with P. Morning, morning. I I have to do this before I do anything else, because if I don't, three young people will simply refuse to get off the bus at the school of the Divine Child. I was told that Siobhan and Aoife and Hugo, good morning lads, are all waiting for me to say hello and say good morning, and that now you can get off the bus. All right, lads? Uh, and um, Helen tells me that you will not get off the bus until you hear your names. That's fine. Siobhan, Aoife and Hugo. Now off you go. Into school. <laughs> oh, Friday, Friday, Friday. We do strange things. Good morning to you. 0818969696, the number. The text to WhatsApp. 083-396-9696 and your email opinion at 96fm.ie we'll come back later to school uniforms because I was talking yesterday with Emma D'Souza who was writing in the examiner about how she feels and she's done some research into it that there's absolutely no proof and absolutely no evidence to suggest that you get a better education if you have a school uniform and it's time to do away with them they're old hat they're out of date forget it she said We've quite missed a reaction to that. And it's one to which we'll come back. We also got some advice. We will have some legal advice to do with the housekeeping staff at CUH who got this letter or posted on the wall of their canteen telling them, uh, sorry lads, but you know that little holiday we're supposed to take in the summertime that you want to go to Santa Ponza with the family? Well, we might not approve that because of the embargo. And I was wondering, is that letter even legal? So we'll check that as well later on. But first to the stories of the day and the big story of the morning is the story that broke in the middle of the night. Well it started on prime time and look we're all talking the last couple of weeks about these exit packages of people who left RTE and the other questions that arise are we allowed to know should we as taxpayers be allowed to know what was in these exit packages how much people were getting why on earth would illegal ban- why would there be why would we as taxpayers not be entitled to know what people that we effectively paid the wages of were getting when they left the organisation it seems a very simple question but it's all been tied up in legalese for the last couple of weeks and then the Minister for the Media Catherine Martin appeared on primetime last night And it emerged that she'd had twice been told something 
by the chair of the board of RTE, Shuni Rahalik. She'd twice been assured that something was X. And then it emerged yesterday that this something was Y. That in actual fact, Shuni Rahalik had said to her twice that the RTE board knew nothing about a particular package. Then she discovers the third time of asking that, well, they did know actually, well, the remuneration committee, in other words, a subcommittee of the board, knew about the package and whatever. That changed everything. And on primetime, on RTE last night, Miriam O'Callaghan was talking to the minister uh, live in studio. That interview went out around quarter to ten uh, last night. I watched it back. It's longer than that. It was over ten minutes. And then in the early hours of the morning, in the middle of the night, literally in the middle of the night, Shuni Rahalig issued a statement resigning as chair of the RTE board. That statement came out at sometime around one o'clock in the morning, so late at night, so early in the morning. The papers didn't have it until this morning. And you kind of wonder what on earth is happening. Look, we've, we've had resignations before from RTE. D Forbes resigned at quarter to eight in the morning. We got her statement. And then there was one or two more of them dropped statements and resignation letters sort of in the middle of the day. But this is the first time we've had one in the middle of the flipping night, like. Uh, this is the chair of the board who's been there right through resigning in the middle of the night. Finn, is there ever going to be an end to this, do you think? Good morning to you. Good morning, Peter. Absolutely not. Um, you you're, you pr- brilliantly opened the show with telling three people to get off the bus um, to go to school. And I think there's a lot more people need to get off certain buses around this country because you, I, I read the press conference, the press release. This place has more boards than an international chess tournament. And nobody knows what the chess tournaments are. If this Captain Martin found out on October the 10th, and then it all just comes out yes, yesterday. Again, somebody else, and you said it to me the last time when the whole thing blew up originally back last year, that there's going to be a lot more people thrown under the bus. And it's easy to pick names to throw under a bus in a situation like this. But like, in part, the people who, who, who believed RTE, give them a second chance, that's us, by paying the TV license, by saying, okay, do you know, thing. We've all been misinformed. You know, if somebody resigns from a company, they get what... If you resign today, if you go into your boss and say I'm resigning, you get what's owed to you. Mm-hmm. Not a room, not a, not a redundancy package, unless you're, you've done your 25 years or whatever. And it just seems to think that they're plucking numbers out of the air. And I'd love to know, I'd love to know somebody to come down and give an answer is how much money is being put in every year with the TV licenses before all this, this, this trouble broke. And how much money from the TV licenses that were supposed to go for our X amount and this amount and that amount is actually after being handed out for people who have jumped off the bus. It's, it's incredible. It has to be a clean sweep. The whole lot has to go. And how can, the, how can Captain Martin come out and say that she's got confidence in, this, in Brack or whatever his name is yeah, and not in the chair of the committee? Because she initially would have had to sat with them when this all broke or whoever the minister was at the time and said, right, okay, this is the way we're going forward. This is the team we're going to go forward. And now it's all crumbling down around them. 1.50 in the morning or 12, 12.50 a.m. to resign. 
that lady was thrown under the bus and in told the, in, to do it. In the middle of the night. In the middle. I wouldn't you yeah, love to have been happen, a fly on the wall? Wouldn't you have loved to have been what? access to her mobile phone there? to see who was she talking to at 12 o'clock at night? Last exactly. Night? Who was there? Who was there? And like, if that lady had been inside in front doing her day's work and then all of a sudden to decide and we all wake up to this morning. But it's the gift that keeps giving and it's going to go on for years and years and years unless there's a clean sweep and yeah. people now need to say, like, how many people were in court last week because of TV licences? Fair number, I'd say. The you know? fair number being someone's day. Okay, a fair number. Yeah. But wh- why, why, why would you pay the TV licence when it's not going towards the upkeep of what goes on the TV shows every single day? Because that's what, what the mm. TV licence were. They have enough advertising coming in. They've got enough uh, revenue coming in from sports events. And you're going to see it soon. Next year, RT could be like BBC, no ads at all. Because, of course, big companies are going to say, hang on a second. Who's going to buy our products when RT can't, be, can't lie straight in the bed? Well, you see, here's the thing. Yeah, if you, go, if you go through it, right, one of the questions that's been arising in the last week or two, and maybe you could answer it on behalf of listeners or someone else can call in. So RT is a public body. If you leave RTE and you're entitled, let's just imagine you're entitled to a package because you might be. Yeah. OK, let's accept that. You might be entitled to a package. Do you believe, Finn, as a licensed pair that you and I and others like us are entitled to know the details of that package? 100%. 100% because what is who decides with the package in the sense of if this somebody decides to leave, that's on, that's on the, on the committee or on the chair, the, the board of of directors, whatever they are, is there a scale? Is because the, there's no there's no consistency in the amounts, none whatsoever. So if somebody goes in and and, and if somebody is transparent and says right, if you go, there's a hundred hundred thousand ballpark figure. That's your package done, dusted across the board, clean team, and even that's too much. I'm just giving a ballpark yeah, figure. Yeah. Well, well, so, Rory Coveney's package was something like, we believe, because no figure was given, about a year's salary, we reckon, which would have been around 200 grand. Kevin Backhurst made the point when that figure came out that, well, if he'd gone to the WRC and challenged them over unfair dismissal, he'd probably have got twice that. So package was put on the table. He took it and went. Okay, but unfair dismissal is a lot different than redundancy than than yeah. resigning and getting a payoff yeah. when you resign there's a huge difference and I'm uh, no legal legal can can. there was a question well, that's what he was saying Kevin Backwards was saying but, I couldn't just sack him why would I just sack him after 16 years he decided to leave and we, did, we did up a package but okay he didn't sack him he decided to leave we did up, did up a package if that's the case everybody that works in RT should be going up and say you know what no you can't sack me but I'm deciding to leave I'm entitled to a package too and the question you need to ask is is that these guys that go in and say what exactly was his role in in RT to say that he was able to command such a high figure mm. well he was because on credit his, 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 estimate, his estimated salary Finn would have been around the 200 mark per year he was director of strategy, whatever that means, and he was there for 16, 17 strategy. years. So he was director of, of lifting up the carpet and getting somebody to come along with a nice tidy brush and brush everything onto the carpet <laughs> until it comes back out. And then the toy show, the musical, come out. Fell, fell on its arse. Oh, and that was his baby. That was his baby, you see. But was it his baby? Was he not just... Getting, somebody had to turn around. PJ, if somebody... If your boss comes into you today and says, right, PJ, you're going down, there's a snail racing competition down up the hills of Cove. You're going to cover that live. You 
are doing a job. So you say, okay, no problem. If it falls in its place, at the end of the day, it's not your problem. Yeah. But, geez, why did PJ go down there? That's what's going to be the answer. These guys are scapegoats. I'm, we said it last year, and you laughed when I said it, because I said there's going to be more people thrown under this bus. But my question is, my question is, it's come out now, Catherine Martin has come out last night and said, no confidence in one, full confidence in the other. When mm. will the confidence in the other start going? Because he knew as well. She didn't express... And then... She was asked, let, let, be very careful what we say now, Finn, be, even in these circumstances. Yeah, she said she was disappointed. She, no, but she, was she, disappointed. Didn't, she didn't actually express no confidence or say she didn't have confidence. When Miriam put it to no. her twice, she said she would wait until she spoke to Shuni Rahalig this morning. That meeting... What a, did they need to speak yeah. about this morning? That, that meeting can't happen now because look at D Forbes. Yeah. Well, here's the thing with what she wanted to. For people who mightn't have grasped what it is that she wanted to. Twice, Shuni Rahalig told Minister Catherine Martin something about an exit package. That's Mm -hmm. in one sentence. So she told her twice something about an exit package. The 10th, which is six months ago, five, six months ago. And then in the last day or two, she told her something else entirely. And Catherine Martin had been basing everything she was saying to the press about exit packages on what she'd been told twice. Now she's told something else. And that's mm-hmm. why she wanted to see her this morning to say, what the hell were you thinking kind of thing. But then, but should, 10 to 1 this morning, we get domain. the letter of resignation. Yeah. yeah, but that should be in the public domain because it's a public company. Correct. It should be in the public domain right up in front of it. Why did you say this? There was a, there was a controversy the other day, and it was actually really good radio bites, was that there was confusion over an exclamation mark in an email that somebody jokingly said, well, like, will, will you sort out my I holiday that, pay? Yeah. Allegedly. So that's somewhere else. So that's in the FBI. That's somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but you know, this, seriously, this, this thing has to be transparent across the board. And I'm sorry to say it, is that if Catherine Martin, it turns out if this lady now can say what she likes because she's not bound to keep her mouth shut and she's going to give an interview three, four months down the road. And if it's proven that Cap- Catherine Martin knew, what's going to happen then? Well, wouldn't it be gas if we discovered? Now, wouldn't be gas. It would be very deep and dark if we discovered in a couple of weeks' time that at 10 to 1 this morning, there was a package on Cat- on, on Shuni Rahalik's But sure, you, you can be... She, she, she didn't um, make an appointment to see her social welfare officer this morning, PJ. She knows what's coming down the line for her. Yeah. Because the rest of them got it, and now they've set a precedent, which is a bad precedent, with a, with a company that we pay taxes for and buy TV license for. They've set a precedent that, do you know what, I, I won't take what's coming to me, the slap on the wrist, I'll walk away with a package. How old is this lady? I don't know. I have no idea. I, I, to be quite I've honest. never even heard of her till this morning. But here's, here's a question for you, Finn. And looking back at where it Ooh. all started, and it started with people talking about salaries for top presenters... Tubbs and Claire Bourne and Joe Duffy and you name it, their salaries were in the spotlight. Most of their salaries, if you look at their programs and look at the advertising that their programs bring in, most of their salaries are well covered by advertising and sponsorship and therefore cost the taxpayer very little at the end of the day. But Rory Coveney's salary and anybody else on the boards, Kevin Backard's salary, their salaries are coming straight out of your pocket and mine. Yeah, but you can't you can't hold the, the, Mr. Coveney or any of these people responsible because if you walk into a place, so and who say, do right, we hold on the board? Somebody has to be responsible. Who do we? Yeah, hold but if you walk into 
if you walk into a job and the, the, the person says, right, you're on the board, you're on 270,000 euro a year, mm. you're hardly going to turn around and say, actually, do you know what? No, I'm all right. No, you're not. The people, you're not. The, people at the, the people at the top are responsible. But the people at the top seem to have, it, it, uh, I'm not insulting anybody, we say it. it's like Masonic. It's like they've got their secret deals everywhere. And like I said at the start of this conversation, I'm learning about more boards. It's like an international chess tournament. It is. It is. Finn, there. Leave it there for a, a while. Good to get the conversation started because it's it's an, it's an, it's the one that people are talking about this morning. Thank you. Let's listen back to it again. So, so Shuni Rahalig had been telling the minister something in particular about an exit package. She had been saying to her not once but twice that the board of RTE was not available, aware of the contents of the exit package. She's told her this not once but twice. And then the third time, she said, well, actually, um, the remuneration committee knew. Well, if the remuneration committee knew, then surely the whole board knew because the remuneration committee is part of the board. That's what swung it. And then let's listen back to Miriam chatting to the minister last night, or in fairness to her, trying to interrogate the minister last night on primetime. So the minister says to Shuni Rahalig, you told me something not once but twice. I went to the media with it not once but twice. Now you're telling me something else. I need you to be in my office in the morning at 10 o'clock. I'll have the kettle on because I need to figure out what the hell is going on here. And then at 10 to 1 this morning, Shuni Rahalig resigns. It's, it's, it's. It's better than an episode of EastEnders, to be fair. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With the Furniture Centre, Watercourse Road, Blackpool. For sofas, beds, kitchen, dining and mattresses. Over 45 years in business. Thefurniturecentre.ie Corks 96 FM The Big Drive Home With Izzy Showbizzy on Courts 96 FM. Join me weekdays from 4 p.m. where I play your favourite tune and celebrate whatever is going on in your life. Can I request Yes and by Ariana Grande? I just bought my first car and now me and my dad are on the drive home listening to 96 FM. Woo. We'll have the chats. Lisa, are you ready to meet the man of your dreams? <laughs> yeah. Plus, I'll have Oak Fire pizza vouchers to give away and I'll have more on the word. Your chance to win free money right here on Courts 96 FM. Join me weekdays from 4 p.m. The Big Drive Home. You can get me up. With Izzy Show Busy. Corks 96 FM. 96 FM. I'll come back to that one because the question I'm asking myself is what was so important or what was so bad that she resigned in the middle of the night? The Forbes went at quarter to eight in the morning. At least she waited for the sun to be coming up. But Shuni Rahalig resigns at 10 to 1 in the morning, less than three hours after the primetime programme. So what was she not wanting to talk about at that meeting this morning? We can we can come back to it. Happy to do that. 0818 96 96 96. Now, yesterday morning, uh, we read out this message that was put on the wall in the housekeeping department at CUH, coming from the acting housekeeping services manager. And it read as follows. Dear housekeeping staff, we regret to inform you that the approval of annual leave requests for the next few months will be very limited due to an embargo put in place on the 13th of October 2023. 
As a result of this embargo, we are unable to hire any new staff to cover for existing leave. We kindly request you only apply for leave if it's absolutely necessary, as we will not be able to cover all annual leave requests due to the shortage of staff. We appreciate your understanding during this difficult time, and we hope that you will continue to support the team throughout the coming months. Thank you for your understanding, best regards, etc., etc., etc. Yesterday we wanted a legal opinion on it because we didn't quite know. Citizens Information was telling me one thing. Um, let's go to a solicitor who actually can tell us for sure. David Brown is with BDM Boylan. David, is that letter even legal? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? I'm well, sir. Yes, it is illegal, essentially. Uh, Not that I'd like to be getting it, particularly if I was uh, an employee, but uh, employees do have holiday rights. It's covered basically in legislation, but mostly it's organised by contracts. And uh, the starting point is you entitled your statutory leave, but uh, I think in the HSE circumstances, it is at the discretion of the employer. And indeed, that's the norm in many companies. Now, I think the notice that I've looked at, uh, it's quite polite uh, and it, it's a request. It's not a diktat and it, it's, it's, it's asking for consideration. Now, I believe that during the height of the COVID crisis, for example, there were uh, embargoes and restrictions, but this is, this is asking for uh, consideration and the employer doesn't have an absolute obligation to give someone holidays when they ask for them. Uh, they do have an obligation to consider it favourable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I see that the leave is uh, balanced as between the work and family responsibilities of the worker and the uh, employee's needs uh, and to to look after the work situation. So, I mean, this isn't a long-term solution. If this goes on year on year, it's wholly unsustainable and would leave lead to disputes. But if there's a genuine need over a particular period, then uh, the, the, the employer can direct uh, that, 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 that leave uh, is taken at a suitable time. Uh, so In terms of a suitable situation. time, David, and, and just that was the one thing that struck me, that there is no end date on this and that if you were putting a restriction on the possible availability of leave, that you would be have to put an end date on it, as in this will be in place until the 31st of August or the 31st of December. This looks like it's open-ended and and here for the foreseeable. Well, it looks like that, but it it can't be so. You're you're, you're bang on there, PJ. I mean, uh, by law and indeed by the contract, uh, if you work eight months consecutively, you're you're entitled to two weeks leave. So uh, if if it's just I'm three, four months and I wanted my holidays and can't take it, I can't complain too much. But I would take the view that if you worked eight months solid, you need your holidays, you can go to the the employer and say, look, I'm taking them. Now, we, we have seen situations where disputes are before the Workplace Relations Commission, for example, example, someone has refused leave, they say, well, I'm going anyway, I've booked my holiday, and they were fired when they come back. 
And we have had cases where the Workplace Relations uh, Commission says, look, that's not fair. It's over the top to fire someone for that. It would be maybe a warning or something like that. Mm-hmm. But um, you, you're right. Year on, it, it should be a stopgap. If this goes on for three or four years, it's just not fair on people. They'd all end up in the Workplace Relations Commission. And um, I, I think the view would be taken that, 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 that it's not sustainable long term because people need their holidays and they mm. need certainty around them. Something that also concerns me in the wording, uh, David, and purely because I, I'm, I'm reading something into it. Maybe it's there, maybe it's not. Maybe, maybe you don't want to comment, but it says, um, we hope you'll continue to support the team throughout the coming months. Now, to me, there's an underlying message there that's saying, look, do you know what now? If you go off in June and July on your holidays, you're letting the team down. Don't like that message, David. Uh, perhaps there is. I wouldn't read too much into it. Uh, the, the notice is, is trying to be polite, but uh, you know the message is stark. You know that 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 you take your holidays when you're told to take them, and no one likes that. Particularly if you're used to uh, 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 to another um, to another regime over the years that you usually take your July fortnight or August fortnight, and suddenly you can't. You've you have school holidays, and people like to take them around that time. Um, but but it, it's I think we can't hang them for for, for that. I, I wouldn't read anything too sinister mm. into it. You know. You'd prefer an end date on it, though, I think, for sure. Absolutely, but I suppose the trouble is management don't know when the, the embargo uh, is going to end. It's, it's not a fair reason. I mean, if there was a flu epidemic or there was some uh, need in the hospital with HSE beyond their control, of course it's all hands on deck. Yes. But it's, 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 it's not good management, I would say, to say, look, sorry, we're not recruiting enough people, therefore you miss out your holidays. That's wrong. Yeah. And that's uh, over time, that's, that, that's not allowed. Yeah. The allocation of holiday time in it's discussed in many, many workplaces. Something that comes up, for example, frequently in small workplaces, David, is, well, there's only four of us here. No two people can be on holidays at the same time. Is is that enforceable or is it just a kind of a, a grace and favour thing? It is enforceable, uh, provided it's in the contract for a stay. Usually in your contract, you say, lots of firms say, please fill out your your sheet at the start of March, go to your line manager, or if it's only four people, go to the guy next to you, uh, and you're asked to, 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 to set it out with, with other people. Now, most employers say, look, if someone has a wedding this year, we'll give them priority. Often it goes by, by seniority. Mm. Um, people, good good management to sit down and work, work it out, and you're supposed to try uh, and do your best to give people holidays when they want them. But of course uh, business would shut down completely if if everyone goes in the same the same fortnight. That's the problem I'd foresee here. If you postpone everyone's holidays to the end of the year, then everyone goes at once that's and right. it's, it's closed the place down. I, so I'm, that's just I'm thinking what could be business. a problem, come back to the letter David, what could be a problem here. Someone might say, well look, do you know what, I've no real plans this summer. I don't mind working through. She, her sister's getting married. His brother is back from Australia. Do you know let them take their holidays kind of thing and I'll be grand for for a while and then you get into next year and I've got maybe uh, maybe my full summer fortnight held over and they might say well no you can't have that you have to have that don't you you, you do, and I think their contracts do provide. They encourage people to take their holidays within the year, but they allow for 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 carrying them on to the 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 next year. Look, it's it's not fair, and it's not public policy to say, look, we'll just we'll just pay your um we'll pay you the pay in lieu of the holidays. Uh, some old contracts say that well, if you don't take them during the year, you lose your holidays. Now that's not enforceable. That's not fair. Yeah, the, there was you, a lot, I, I got a common complaint a couple of years ago. Um, was that and we had a, quite a slew of people getting onto us here that in their place of work 
that any holidays not used by December 31st. It was a case of use it or lose it. You can't do that, can you? Uh, no, no. Well, you can do that by agreements, but I've come across employers that put that in, and then at the end of the year, everyone says, "Right, we're taking our holidays," and they have to come back with their tails between their legs and say, "Sorry, they they changed the terms because look, it's just not practical." Uh, it, it, yes, sign up for it; it's okay, but it, it, then 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 you take you can't have it both ways. You can't say use or lose it, and yet put a restriction when they take it. If it's use or lose it, I'm using it, and I don't care about your business if it closes down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So come back lastly to the letter here, David. Unfortunately, it's perfectly legal. You wouldn't like to see it on the wall of your canteen at any time soon. No. But I think you'd agree with me, would you, lastly, that you would prefer to see an end date on it. I would, and I would look at it as, a, as an eight-month period. Uh, if you have a particularly difficult year, it shouldn't knock on to a second year. That's not fair in my view. All right, David, thank you very much for that. David Brown, solicitor with BDM Boylan. You wonder what the housekeepers or the housekeeping workers union is saying about this. I don't know whether they're FORSA or whether they're SIP2 within the hospitals. I don't know if they've brought it to the attention of their union. be interesting to know. Thank you, David. So, unfortunately, it is legal, uh, but David agrees with me. It should also have, preferably have, an end date on it. It doesn't have an end date on it. 0818-9696. John says go out on the sick. Problem solved. <laughs> that can cause more problems than it solves, John, but I do take your point. 0818-9696. Back to RTE. Kate says the reason why people are so angry is because so many of them have felt fearful at one stage over the TV license inspector uh, and the RTE notion that feeding that fear with their style of advertising. Now we learn their inspectors are just being ducked and dived. The, like the, we used to think that the inspector had this thing in the van. Do you remember? It, we, 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 did, we were fed this belief that the inspector had this yoke in the van that picked up a telly and could pick up a telly that didn't have a license and like Egypts, we swallowed this wasn't possible ever. Um, PJ, do you remember the builder of, or in a tribunal who said running the co- people run the country make the mafia look like queer boys? I do. On the top of my head, I couldn't tell you who he was. But I do remember it very much. Mick says the chair of the board will probably get a golden handshake now. Well, there you go, Mick. It could happen too. I hope people don't pay their TB licence. Last week, Leo said anyone who doesn't have a licence will be taken to court. But hopefully no one will pay RTE need to go, and so do the government. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Would it, if you have already paid your TB license? I think at the end of the day we did. It's one of the bills that the Queen Bee looks after, and I think she did uh, pay it in the end. <clears throat> but would you pay it now if your TB license is up now? If it comes up in the, if your license is up in the next month, say, not the next six months. Will you pay your next TV license? I'm speaking to people who would be diligent license payers over the years. Will you pay now? Just a, a straw poll. Text me. Uh, will you pay it or won't you now? So there was this very famous pet shop on the North Main Street when I was a young fella, And there was a monkey in there. And I never saw it 
actually happen. But Edward O'Flaherty, did Bimbo actually drink cocoa? Morning. How's it going, PJ? How are you getting on? Good. Uh, yeah, he did drink cocoa. That's all he was drinking, you know. <laughs> a cocoa-drinking monkey on North yeah. Main Street. And where did he come from? I think he came from down the Keys. The Keys? Maybe off one of the boats, you know. Really? Yeah. Cause that's, a, that's a long time ago now. A lot of stuff came off them boats, you know. I, I, I never thought there'd be <laughs> monkeys that come off them boats. <laughs> oh, yeah, there was a lot of stuff, yeah. 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 I'm thinking he might have come off the banana boat, would I be right? Well, that's what you would think anyway, <laughs> but there's, there's no guarantee. <laughs> so, Ian, and how did he end up, if he came off a, off a boat, and it, it was your dad's business at the time, wasn't it? Um, how, how, how did he come to be in the pet shop? I think the guy that sold him to him, he was stuck for money for drink. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. He had a monkey, but he had no money. Yeah. So... You he first him here and my dad bought him. Yeah. You started working there when? Well, back in this early, or the late 60s. Right. right. When I was maybe seven or eight. Right. And when had your dad opened it? About 61. Right, okay. okay. And you sold, I do remember being in there, and you sold some exotics, like you sold a lot that, of goldfish and, and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, we did, yeah. But you yeah. sold... You sold tarantulas, for God's sake. Yeah, we still have some tarantulas here, yeah. Who'd buy a tarantula, you know? Edward? Ah, there's a lot of people out there would buy them, you know. God. You know? Uh, tarantulas, they're, they're harmless, you know. It's only their hairs they flick at you, you know. Right. They don't bite you, know? you at, no? Well, it's possible, you know. It's like a bee sting. You don't know until you pick them up. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Life is a gamble, you know. <laughs> you take a chance crossing the road. Right, yeah. You know? And would you sell many of them? Uh, we don't sell too many now, no. The exotic trade is nearly gone, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Between uh, even reptiles, lizards, tarantulas, tortoises. Yeah. It's all gone, you know? Is it gone? I remember being frightened. I have a lifelong fear of snakes. I remember seeing a snake in there and trying to make for the door. Yeah. Did you sell yeah. snakes? We do sell snakes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, corn snakes. Boars, wow. wow, ball pythons. I sold them all, you know. Green tree pythons, right? You know. And was there much of a back in? The, like you say, the exotics are gone now. But back in the day, was there much of an interest in? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. There was great interest. Yeah, yeah. And would people yeah. buy poisonous snakes? We we don't sell them, but they are in the country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because okay, but a boa, you know? a, a fully grown boa constrictor can can kill a man in, in 30 seconds, but they generally don't, to be fair. There, there wouldn't be, no. There wouldn't be too many in the country, no, no. no. Yeah. And the people that have them, like, would respect them, you know? Yeah. They wouldn't be taking them out, showing them to their friends, you know? <laughs> no, they wouldn't. So they had Bimbo, and then there was another monkey as well. Did, did Bimbo die, or did Bimbo get sold? What happened? I think they sent Bimbo to uh, Dublin Zoo. Okay, okay. And Then, there then was... we had another monkey, Cheetah. Cheetah. It was a much smaller monkey. Yeah. You know? What was the most unusual animal that was ever in there that you can remember? Uh, I suppose the monkeys were. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Were they the ever for sale? now would be unusual as well, you know? Were, they, were the monkeys ever for sale or were they just like a... Like no, a that's for sure. 
I, I once had a token, you know. A token? Yeah. The board with the big beak? Yeah. Oh. I once had one of them. Mm. You know? Did it sell? Yeah, I sold them, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those fellas live a long time. They live a long time, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I just saw them to a guy with exotic boards, you know. Yeah. There was a... I do remember Georgie the Minor Bird. I remember my, my, my dad, had, or my, my mom rather, had a fascination with Georgie the Minor Bird. Georgie, yeah. He talked he, to you. He would he actually talk to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he and had a fairly good the, vocabulary, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, he had good words, you know. No, I didn't teach him half of those words, you know. <laughs> yeah. And I'm thinking that a half you didn't teach him. Yeah. He, he could talk away, you know. He cursed. I was told one time. He, he cursed? He oh, cursed. I don't know anything about cursing. <laughs> huh? Well, you stay, around, you stay around the shop in North Main Street long enough and you learn to curse, won't you? You will, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to pass that stage now. I'm pretty calm, I know, you know. <laughs> the place... How come it was? I mean, in case anyone is coming in at the back end of this conversation, and we will podcast it. We're speaking about the ideal pet shop, which, like, like it's, it's been part of North Main Street since since God knows when. Since I was a small boy in, in short pants, you know, why why the decision now, Eddie? I've been I've been thinking about it for a while, you know, and like I I see the way town has gone. It's just gone. It's, it's kind of gone quite, you know. Yeah. Even though, like, I'm, st- I'm still busy enough. I, st- I could, I still probably survive. There's nobody here with me, you know. Yeah. I'd still survive away, you know. But I just feel myself. I'm after giving it enough, you know. Yeah. You know, maybe your life is enough, you know. Yeah. Yeah. How much more do they want, you know? Yeah. You've, you've, you've enjoyed it, and you've. I've enjoyed it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm, would you be, are you the only pet shop left in the city centre now? We're the only one. Yeah. Yeah. That'll be be a sad yeah. day. So, and you said the exotics are not doing the sale they used to. What about rabbits? Birds? Rabbits? No, rabbits. No, no. no. Uh, the sale of livestock has gone. You know. Yeah. No people live a different life. You know. Yeah. Not like twenty years ago. Most people would have a dog or a cat or a rabbit in out in the garden. Yeah. No people don't have a garden. You know. Yes. Yes, yes. You know, you you can't do this and you can't do that. You can't put the plant in the window. You yes. can't put the goldfish right next to the telly in case you get an electric shock. Go one out of that. You know, uh, you have to keep the board at a certain temperature. No, I just think the whole lot is gone, you know. Yeah. yeah. Are, are, and would that be true, like, that you have to keep the board at a certain temperature and... Well, like, was there a lot of? I never had a budgie. I never had could see the attraction of budgies, but that's just me. But but was there a lot of work saying keeping a budgie or a canary? Not really. No, just once you fed him once a day, gave him a treat. Yeah. Maybe gave him a honey bar, a bit of egg, egg? Gave him a bit of apple. Right. Right. You know. Yeah. Uh, keep him warm at night time if the house is cold. Yeah. You know. Have you any? Have you any actual pets yourself, Eddie? Only my wife. <laughs> you said that, no, not me. You said that, not me. And you know, the street has changed. The North the Main Street, street has, changed. has changed. Yeah, not yeah. what it was like. Not it's what not it what it was. No, 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 no. But the whole city has changed. Yeah, the whole city is moving, moving to the outskirts. You know. That's right. That's right. I mean, I mean, I can remember North Main Street 
and you'd get your you'd get your clothes in McMurphy's. That's right. And you 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 could you could go from one end of North Main Street to the other, and you'd never actually need to go anywhere else in the city. You'd That's get right. Everything yeah. you wanted. Yeah. Those those days are gone. Those days are long gone. Even like with the, it was a two way street before. I don't. I now don't I know, know there's more traffic and stuff like that. Yeah. But now they're trying to do away with traffic. People, people, they're trying to make it impossible for people to come into the city. Yeah. You know. Yeah. You're not the and first I mean, trader to say that. A lot, a lot of the customers we had, I hate saying it, would be after passing on. Yeah. This is an old game, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But like, I mean, it, it done me well. It stood by me well, you know. Yeah. Will you, you miss know? when? Are you, when are you going to close? I don't know. It could be ten years down the line. All right, you be talking. To you. I I don't know. I didn't put it in stone yet. You put the place up for sale, and that's it. Yeah, yeah. and that's it. How would you How would you feel about someone coming in and saying, "Listen, I'll take it and keep it open"? Uh, well, I suppose if I got the right the right money, I'd be okay. <laughs> but I don't think someone would do it. You know? Yeah, yeah. I don't think someone would do it. There's great space upstairs for a few apartments, is what I'm told, and there's plenty yeah. of admission. So to, it, it'll be attractive to an investor. It's, it's what they do with the ground floor. Is the oh, I know that. I know. Maybe someone might take it and employ me. Here you go now, you see? Putting yourself out there. Eddie, listen, <laughs> for, for, for all the memories of that great pet shop on North Main Street, um, thank you very much. It was a great place to go, just for a browse around. You'd never know what you'd see. You'd never know what animal you'd see. Uh, and Bimbo and Cheetah and the snakes and the tarantulas and everything else that they ever had. Great memories. The ideal pet shop on North Main Street. Our city is changing before our very, very eyes. And it's not all good. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With the Furniture Centre, Watercourse Road, Blackpool. For sofas, beds, kitchen, dining and mattresses. Over 45 years in business. Thefurnituresentre.ie. Cox 96 the minds are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 966 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the opinion line with PJ Coogan. 96 FM. You see, it's a morning like this that I know I'm right when I say that spring starts next Friday, the 1st of March. I know I'm right. Look out at that. Look out at that. And Cork Bio is reporting that there has been snow uh, in parts of Cork up around Mallow. Uh, now, I, no one has phoned us yet to say that they have seen snow or that it is snowing. But uh, in North Cork, in Mallow, that general area, has there been snow this morning? Because Cork Bio says that there has been it's cold and damp out there it really is it was a horrible night last night last night was an absolutely horrible cold damp manky old night which where's the spring there lads you know what I mean 0818 96 96 96 uh, on the pet shop yeah there was a nice article in the Echo Catherine Shanahan had a nice article in the Echo about the the, the ideal pet shop closing or at least being put up for sale as Eddie said no closing date just yet but he's put it up for sale. Um, I love the way your man from the pet shop was talking. I could listen to him talking all day, says that message in there. I think people want to go everywhere now by car, so that stops the kind of impulse purchase 
that feeds places like pet shops their business. That's actually a very valid point. John says you should have asked him about selling. Do they sell the same species of snake that you see crawling around Leinster House? John, that's bold. But I can see why you might think it. Now, it's three weeks ago yesterday. Is it? Yes. Three weeks ago yesterday, that or Wednesday rather, that the bottle tax became a thing. The machines got switched on and the bottles began to arrive with the little sticker on them and the barcode. And I've heard one or two people who were happy enough with the way the machine worked. But we've heard a lot of people who were not. I haven't yet had occasion to use a machine. I've got about eight or nine bottles at home at the moment. I think I must pop down to one of the shops over the weekend and see will it all work. A little sticker and the whole thing. But is it working? Uh, one man who has a, a couple of off licenses, and I think Derek Matson, you've got one machine across your company. Are they working so far? Good morning to you. Morning, BJ. Um, are they working so far? The one that we have in the shop in Grange is is it, it is working. Technically, it is working. There are a few little um, a little hiccups with it. Will it, will it read every barcode that's 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 uh, on the system? We've had a few issues where it hasn't been doing so. Um, some products that could that that were going through the, the the system then weren't going through the system and are back on the system now. Uh, in general, it will work. There's going to be teething problems with it but but in general I think it, it will work it just it's going to take a little bit of work from the retailers to make sure that it's um, that everything's working properly we're still in a crossover period where not every bottle or can has the little R on it yet what's the story there can I bring a bottle or can that doesn't have an R on it or if I buy a bottle or can in your off license that doesn't have an R on it can I put it into the machine so there, there are two and a half thousand products which are being referred to as international barcodes that are currently being accepted by the machines. So these are barcodes that uh, companies have registered for now before they before they they put the um, the DRS logo on their on their cans. Obviously, there's an awful lot of stock on the Irish market of of plastic and cans that um, that was there prior to prior to DRS coming in. So you you can't just discount all of that product. That is that's to be recycled, and 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 we want that. Everybody wants that stuff to go back through the system. Yeah. So there are barcodes that are turned on at the moment um, that will go back through the machine that do not have the DRS logo on them. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, the the date on this has changed a little bit because initially it was it was sometime in March, some, then it was sometime in May. Now I'm hearing that it's the the first of July that those barcodes will be left on until and will continue to work on the machines until then. Mm. Um, and after that, then they will need the DRS logo on them. Yeah. In retrospect, Derek, would it have been a better thing to do to start gradually introducing these barcodes and just start bringing the machines in when everything was gone off the shelves and all we had was properly barcoded product? Well, yeah, that that would would have been one way to look at it. The the other way of looking at it is just turn on all of the barcodes that are registered that anybody wants to register. So if you have an interest in a product that's in the Irish market, you register it with return, register it with the DRS machines, and turn on that barcode. And over a period of time, those barcodes will go through the system, and and the product can then be relabeled 
with with the correct barcodes. Mm. Like I, I suppose you, you have to you have to understand that there's there's a lot of these companies, certainly the smaller Irish breweries, yeah. that would have you know they'd have bought in labeling last year, they'd have bought in cans last year that they would have needed to to pre-order for their product, um, and and. Now this is a change, so that all that label has to change for them, and it's you know it's it's not just stick a sticker on the side of the can; it needs to be integrated into their labelling. Yeah. Um. And and that 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 then uh, will eventually clear through. <clears throat> That's important, will... actually. It's not just yeah. I was looking at that in one or two of the bottles that I've gotten so far. It's not a sticker; it's part of the label, and on the cans, yeah. it's not a sticker; it's it's part of the actual print on the can and that that's very specific in terms of the off license trade that you're in yourself like you mentioned there smaller breweries craft beers international drinks that would you'd sell only mm-hmm. you might only sell a, a few cases a year of some particular beer or other in cans how are we going to deal with that will will you be able to to, to put that through the scheme well, they will once that barcode has been registered and once the labelling on it. A lot of the craft breweries do seasonal beers. So during the winter, they will do particular style stouts. During the summer, yeah. they do sour beers and stuff like that. Um, and they would relabel and repackage those in smaller quantities on a yearly basis. They're just going to have to, to take that DRS logo now in to account when they're doing their labels um, for their seasonal beers. But then that that barcode as such needs to be registered with with uh, return so that it will be accepted in and out in into the machines um, and there's a cost then to the breweries and, and to anybody who's registering a product on 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 return what about imported beers like imported beers from the likes of Spain or that kind of thing so that, that that's where it becomes a little bit of a gray area because there are if I'm not mistaken there are currently three re, uh, recycle logos across Europe. This 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 recycling system is coming in all the way across Europe. Every yeah. country is going to be doing it in the next 3 years. Um there are I believe 15 countries signed up to do it at the moment that are in the process of doing it at the moment. Um but there does appear to be a problem where there's no one European logo for these products. And Why am I not if we're a European, yeah, if we're if we're a European uh, country, um, we have free trade across across Europe. So if something you produce in Spain is freely allowed to be sold in Ireland, it's, uh, the exact same for the Irish breweries. If they're freely allowed to sell their product in 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 Italy or France or Germany, then we can't. We we either need a European logo for this, or we need to accept re- to, um, recycle logos from other countries. Yeah. Now that's that, but isn't that the most bizarre thing? It's an EU-wide scheme, and yet there are a number of different types of label. Like that—that's just yeah. Mad. That's just mad. yeah. We, we, look, we're hearing that there will that there is a move in the next number of years to have one logo, one return recycle logo across all of Europe, um, which which obviously is is something that that should have been thought about before For this whole thing started. Exactly, exactly, exactly. You know, and people people that uh, you're paid an awful lot more than you and me, Derek. We should have been thinking about this a year or two ago. Yeah. In terms of the machines yeah. themselves, and I know you only have one, in, but they, they do. We learned they do now. They take in the bottle or the can. They crush mm-hmm. it, and then they mm-hmm. ask for the next one. So the idea yeah. of rocking up to a machine with a huge black bag full of bottles and cans, you'll be there for a while. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, my, my, my staff would beg and plead with you and, and all, of, all of the employees in the company do a little and often rather walking up with a, with a black bag and, and 10 or 15 uh, slabs inside it. Yeah, it, like it is, it is something that 
if you if you're if you're consuming if you're buying you know a six pack every two or three days, then bring the six pack back with you, and do it that way rather than rather than um, oh, storing them at home where they're possibly likely to get damaged and then going to a return center and spending 20 minutes standing there putting the cans in that that would be the that you know that's that's a problem obviously mm. if the person at the start of the queue has got a black bag of cans and you're at the back of the queue with six cans you're not going to hang around to do that you're yeah. going to throw them back in the car you're going to you know you're going to you're going to recycle them at some other point um, like so if I, if I if I have a if I have a party in my house of a saturday afternoon and or Saturday evening, and I have bought a slab of cans up at your place, and I bring them back on Monday to put them through the machine. A perfectly mm-hmm. good can or bottle. How long for each yep. one to go through the machine and say, right, ready for the next one? Right. So, so like you put in your 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 can, the barcode is scanned as it goes through the the entrance to the to the to the machine. Um, the, the machine takes a couple of seconds to register it. It opens the drawer, drops the can down, crushes it, and drops it down into the, the bin at the bottom of the of the of the machine. So you're maybe talking five, six, seven seconds per can. Right. Um. So so you know you, you are you are standing there then for 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 a minute, minute and a half maybe. And now, if it, does, course, if it like, doesn't like it, it'll spit it out. If it doesn't like it, it'll spit it out. Yeah. If it doesn't like it, it'll spit it out, and you can retry it. So there, there are a number of reasons the machine won't accept a can. Okay. So it, it's either like the decision for the machine is either yes or no. I'm accepting it or I'm not. If the machine doesn't accept it, it won't accept it because either the barcode isn't registered to go back on the recycle system, or the can is damaged, or the can is full, or there's something in the can. That's the machine can only do those jobs and decide and make that decision. So if the can is damaged, um, once the barcode is readable on the can, the machines should accept it. Yeah. But there is, the barcode is attached to a parameter of the of the, the can. So for each barcode, there's a registration of the size and the weight of that, that that barcode should be attached to. This is a bit like um, when you put your, your things up on the scale of the automatic machine in the supermarket. Everything has been weighed. Absolutely. Yeah, okay. Absolutely. So if there's a variance in it where where there's liquid in it or somebody puts, you know, bits of paper or something like that into it, the machine won't accept it. Um, there are certain products on the Irish market, some, certain stouts that have the widget, the plastic widget within yes. them. So they have been weighed with the plastic widget in it. So that can then is registered as being slightly heavier because there's a, there's, a, there's a widget within it. So then it will accept it because the machine knows that can is of the correct weight and shape that it's supposed to be. Yeah. Now, from what I've been told, there's a 35%, roughly a 35% variance from what the can is registered to what can go into it. So there can be little dents and little, you know, slight crushes on the can. Yeah. And the barcode will still register it. But if the barcode is in any way damaged, then the machine has no ability to read it. Then it has no ability to to, to accept the the, the, the product back. In. And I, I do you have to put? This is such a silly question. Do you have to put the barcode? Do you have to say right? Put the right side of the bottle in, or will it roll it around to find it? So on our machine, we don't. The, some of the bigger machines have that roll around system where it'll where it'll find it. Our machine doesn't. It has it has a light that comes from the top of it. If you put your hand into it, you can see a, like a little green spotlight. It's, it's the scanner. exact same as exactly. It's the exact same as the scanners that you have in your shop when you when you go into uh, any any shop and they scan your product. 
it's the same thing. So they're designed to read the barcode as quickly and as, as efficiently as possible. Now, if you something over the barcode or if it's covered the wrong way, then then it could be a problem. But as you're putting the can in, it will show you put the barcode, face the barcode up, put the can in, you will hear a beep, take your hand out and, and the machine will do what it does. I see. I see. Um, the cost of the machines, uh, Derek, I heard yeah. you say in, in the news there that it was 13,000 for the machine and that you get two, yeah. something like two at the two cents back per, per can or bottle that goes through it and you'd need to be putting through 650,000 to recruit the cost of it. But don't you, be, are you not able to write it off against your taxes? Well, you, uh, uh, in the same as purchasing anything else, like a, a fridge or a till or, or you know, a, a piece of machinery for your shop, you are able to write it off part of it as a capital expenditure. But but that's not giving you the money back. It it is you're writing off part of it. You still you still have to outlay the money, and 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 that is the, I suppose that's that's the tricky the money, part. Yeah. Is, is yeah, you've got to put out that money f- straight up, and for us. The, yeah, the machine in Grange cost us thirteen thousand euros. We get two cent back per can, which is uh, almost like a retailer's fee for it, which results in six hundred and fifty thousand cans having to go through the machine to, to pay it back. Some of the machines that you will see at at some of the um, at some of the multiples uh, are enormous machines, and I'm imagining there's up to to fifty thousand euros hmm. in cost for those machines to be put in. Um, obviously, they're designed to take an awful lot more uh, usage and, and and put through and, and throughput. Um, it is it is an outlay. We will be able to write off some of it, and there is I'm not a hundred percent certain of the details of it, but there are grants available if you're not hitting specific targets. I have you? I have you. Um, but it, but it will take it will still take us three years probably. Right there thereabouts to to recoup this and 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 to um to to get it to get it paid for. Okay. Okay. Now. We do. We are still kind of in that space between some stuff having the logo and mm-hmm. everything having the logo. And a lot of people have been on to us saying that the price of X, Y, and Z went up, even though there's no logo on it. What happened there? Do you mm-hmm. know? Uh, look, there's, there's, there, there has been price increases. Like PJ, you're, you're, you're well aware of the, the inflationary issues that have been going on in Ireland over the last number of years. So there, there have been price increases on certain products that have come in uh, in or around the same time that, that, that the, the DRS has been, has been charged. Is it unfair to suggest, Derek, and I'm not saying anything about your business, is it, mm-hmm. is it unfair to suggest that some of this might have been done under the radar? I speak particularly of a particular two-litre bottle of water that I, I, I buy quite a lot of that was 85 cents before this now mm-hmm. is 95 then you put on your deposit. And that came in quite mm-hmm. under the radar. There's been an amount of it. Yeah. Look, PJ, we, we, we've received price increases from our suppliers in the last number of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they're claiming that they've received price increases from their, from their, um, from their producers. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, possibly, there's possibly a situation where, where there's a little bit of, of seeing an opportunity to throw in a few pence onto it. Possibly there is. I know for us in Matins, we haven't put on a price increase on any product um, apart from the the fifteen cent that goes on to that goes on to the the DRS. We haven't. We, we're we're maintaining our margins, not increasing anything um, to 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 try and take advantage of it. That's that's no good for a small business like us. That's that's no good for us because people are price conscious when it comes to these products. Mm. Um, and you know when you're when you're Eight pack of carling goes from you know thirteen euros to fourteen twenty. P 
people will ask questions straight away at the counter. Why? Why is that? And you're explaining that it's the DRS, yeah. and then they're understanding grand. So it was, you know, it was 13 euros. Now it's 14.20. It's 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 that's the DRS charge on it. So you're yeah. still paying your 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 13 euros. You yeah. can get your one euro twenty back, back when you come back from the, the machine when you bring it back. Yeah. Lastly, and that's, la- that's a big thing that I would that 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 we are kind of saying to all of our employees. This isn't tax. This is a deposit, and it is returnable when mm. you when you come back with the product, you, you will get your money back. Yeah, I've, I've seen it on signs in one or two places already that I've been into, you know, that you will yeah. get your money back, bring it back and put mm-hmm. it in the machine. Lastly, and, yeah. you know, what's been difficult in terms of discussing this, Derek, over the last couple of weeks is that if you start to criticise it at all, some, uh, what's the word, idealist will put up their hand and say, ah, you're only a climate denier, the whole world is doing it. We're not. <laughs> It's it. Was there a better way to do this, Derek? Assuming that we have to do it anyway, was there a better way to do it? I, look, from 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 our opinion and from my opinion in, in in the the retail side of the industry, it would have been far easier to to just turn on register every barcode that's there, allow it all to go through the 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 return system, and over a period of time, surely surely retail uh, return can see can see what is and isn't going through these machines they can register they can they can count how many barcodes and, and which barcodes are going through and over time start turning off barcodes that haven't gone through any machine in the country in the last six months and then and, and slowly but surely everything comes through everything comes onto the system and everything is then returnable um should there been i mean pj if we put these machines on the streets of cork city and and allowed people to just randomly you know put their cans in and get and get a, a voucher out of the machine that they can use in any return registered shop, would that have been the worst thing in the world? No, no. It, it, it might have, it might have helped the situation along. The way that it's been done now is it, it has been put on the retailer mm-hmm. to make sure that your machine is you know is clean and is 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 accessible and is emptied and serviced. It has been put onto the the, the foot of the retailer to do that. Yeah. And maybe, obviously, we're the, we're the people putting the amount of product onto the market. Maybe it should be our responsibility to, to, to take it back. But in the same vein, you know, should these things all be put into universities and every school and, and probably every public with. space to, to do yeah. it? And let alone the fact that we have a, European, a Europe-wide scheme with three different mm-hmm. logos. It's just, that, that is just so, you could say typically Isn't Irish, but you could say typically Irish, but it's... it's <laughs> <laughs> Derek, a pleasure. Thank you. Derek Matson of Matson's Off Licence. He's got a couple of branches, including the great one up in Grange. Thanks, Derek. 0818969696. Are you any clearer? Uh, thanks, in fairness to Derek, for doing his level best as a retailer. But are you any clear? And this idea, so don't be having... Uh, like, don't be having a rugby party tomorrow, for example, and have the lads over and have a couple of slabs. And then, you know, everyone else comes over in the evening and you stay there and the bottles of wine come out. Don't be rocking up to a place on Sunday with or the, the, the boot of the car full of bottles and cans because it'll take a while for them to go into the machine. That's the one thing. And if the machine doesn't like it, it'll spit it back out again. But I love the bit about the logo. It's an all-European thing to get us all doing this at the same time. It's been in Germany for years. It's been in Denmark for years. But why on the name of goodness do we have three different flipping 
Logos. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With the Furniture Centre, Watercourse Road, Blackpool. For sofas, beds, kitchen, dining and mattresses. Over 45 years in business. Thefurniturecentre.ie Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science. With beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Uh, Geraldine says, this is so annoying for people who recycle well, like my family do. I'll just recycle in the usual way and put the stuff in my bins. I'm not going to be up and down to the shop recycling. It's like throwing money away. Very unfair for people like me who recycle well. Well, Geraldine, if you are just going to pop them straight into your bin, you are throwing money away. Your bottles and cans. You are throwing money away if you're just going to put them straight into the recycling bin. Like, imagine you have some friends over the weekend, and there might be a couple of wine bottles. Um, they'll have a thing on them. No, they're, they're, no, they're plastic. Okay, so you'll have cans and some plastic bottles. Friends over for the. Like, you're going to lose on every single one of those bottles and cans. No, it's not glass. It's not glass, of course. It's not glass. So cans, right? You have a few cans of it. Pl- you're going to lose. So you literally are throwing money away if you don't put it into the recycling. If you just put it into the recycling bin and don't take it back. But I see your point. You recycle well. We recycle well at home. We recycle well at home. I'm very careful about putting the the plastic, crushing it and putting it into the bin and making sure that it's all good and tickety-boo and whatever. But if I crush down a bottle now and put it into the bin... I'm down 15 cents. So call me mean if you will. I'm going to the shop with my bottles. Uh, if I go, we go through quite an amount of sparkling water at home. We're big consumers of sparkling water in Coogan Towers. And before you ask me to get a soda stream, it's not the same. It is not the same. But anyway, we go through quite a lot of it. Um, and I'll, I'd lose a lot of money if, if, if I didn't bring them back. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Did you watch this on on Home of the Year? Uh, this this never happens. This never happens. Certainly not with with Amanda, who is one of the judges 
on Home of the Year. Yeah, she likes places, and if she likes them, she gives them a good score. But this... I'll stop now, Shishi, before she starts crying, and then she gives the home a 10. And to be fair, it is beautiful. It's stunning. It's a converted schoolhouse, and they've made a gorgeous home out of it, and a fantastic art studio and wonderful art all over the house. It is a beautiful home. It is the home of Ian Humphreys and Sarah McCarthy, who both join me. Guys, did you think she'd start to cry when she saw your beautiful place? Ian, good morning. Good morning. Did you think that she'd be so taken back by it? I had no idea. I had no idea. It was a, 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 a shock, but a very nice one. A nice response. I yeah. couldn't have a nicer response than that. Yeah. When you went to view an old schoolhouse, which before you got out, it was fairly tumble down, wasn't it, sir? Well, it was converted from a school to a house in the 80s, and uh, the original people moved out then. Other people bought it. It was a holiday home. Yeah. And uh, they got, well, they, the husband died, and the, the, it was too much for the, the lady, and uh, they basically ended up using it as a holiday home and letting it out to different people. And it basically had been not decorated or nothing had been done to it since the 80s. Mm. So when, when we came in, it needed an awful lot of work. How much of it did you do yourselves, Sarah? Um, just the ideas. <laughs> Ian came up with the ideas for what to do. and Because uh, we'd looked at a lot of houses and then he always looks at somewhere, even if it's yeah. very run down or in a remote location. And then he thinks over a plan and then by the next day he says, I see it all in my head. So I didn't take much notice when he was saying that. But yeah, he did. He came up with all the ideas, but we didn't do the work ourselves. We had local people helping us to do everything. Yeah. Being an artist, as you are, Ian, like that, you could tell. I'm not blowing smoke or anything here now, because I did watch it back this morning. <laughs> and it was so... You can see that there's someone who has vision in each division, in each room of the house. So did you almost paint it in your head before you decided what to do with each section? Oh, but basically, it, it did it itself because when we moved in there was a big stage someone had built in the living room so they could be high up and look out the windows because all the windows are very high and old school so the kids couldn't look out of them but uh, the stage was a bit rotten and I thought we've just got to take it out anyway and take it back to its original. We just tried to get the original character of mm the place back as much as we could mm. and modernize at the same time because nowadays of course everything has to be fully insulated and and, yeah, and properly yeah, rated and all that and keeping keeping the vintage nature must have been difficult with bringing all the modern provisions into it was it it that's exactly it like there was a plastered ceiling in the main room but that was half hanging down. So we got a, a lovely builder in and we took down the plastered ceiling and we replaced it with a wooden ceiling which matched the wainscoting that went mostly around the whole building. Yeah. But certain bits of that were rotten so we had to take them away. And so we made it a lot warmer by having the wooden ceiling and somehow, it, even though that's not original, it fitted the character of the place. It, and it looked original. Nice <laughs> yeah. 
It looks, yeah. I mean, there's an amount of, of work done to make modern stuff that you've put in, as it were, to, to fill gaps. You worked yeah. hard to make that look like it was part of the original premises. Yeah, yeah. Well, that would be, that would be, uh, the house just screamed out for that, really, that it wanted uh, to be, have its character revealed, I think, mm. rather than covered up, you know. And, and in the bathrooms and things like that, there were sort of uh, 80s bathrooms, if you know what I mean, sort of pink and yeah. uh, funny-shaped sinks, and we thought, no, it needs just a very classical, yeah. uh, traditional bathroom put in, and we put in a, a, a freestanding iron old bath, a second-hand one that just is great and matches the atmosphere of the house again. Yeah, 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 and of course you're wiring and insulating and plumbing as you go to, to modern yeah. standards, and that's, that's all got to fit in with the vintage yeah. look. I think that might have been, Sarah, that might have been what blew the judges away so much, how you'd managed to achieve that. Yeah, um, I think so. As I suppose it, it's she liked the contemporary look, she, or she was hoping when she came in she was talking about contemporary look for the, for the interior, you know, all the, all the furniture that I was laughing she when she was saying about the shabby chic. It's just all furniture that I got from a grand aunt of mine. And the, the only new thing we had was that upcycled um, chest of drawers in the upstairs. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think, I suppose the paintings are very contemporary. Yeah. And then the house has the character, so they complement each other. Yeah, yeah. And there's a thing, you can, the, the beauty of it is with, the paintings is you can change them and the, uh, oh yeah we change them move like, them around he and, changes yeah. them all the time yeah, yeah, yeah every yeah. week nearly there's something else I have to go <laughs> yeah. out and be hauling yeah. them up and down ladders <laughs> yeah because <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking that like in the summertime for example you could put up one set of paintings and in the wintertime you'd have put yeah. up another yeah yeah, yeah we do that yeah because it depends on when the light there, there's one amazing gold painting yeah. It was huge, I think it was 10 foot by 8 foot and it was so beautiful like when the, the sun would be setting on it and, and it was gold and we, we shifted that out then and uh, our little boy was so upset over it that he hates when we move anything. He's trying to block all the doors and not let us take it out. <laughs> but yeah, we shift them. It depends on the light in the house and we were lucky that day when they, they came to view it that it, it was sunny because it can be such a bright uh, yeah. sunny house if the, if the weather is good but it can be a bit dark in the in the winter time when they were coming. You know when they come for your to, to, to view your house? Yeah. Is is that a bit nerve wracking? Oh yeah. <laughs> like they were landing at half seven in the morning and it was like end of October and the whole garden's mud and just trying to get the place sorted and clean and to try and get the child up without having him be grumpy, ready for the camera. But the um the photographers were lovely and they said they'd fly the drone for him if he was good and Brilliant. came into the shot. And so, then, yeah. Are you cleaning and hoovering and dusting and polishing like things possessed before the camera? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's total panic. <laughs> Shove everything out of the shed. <laughs> yeah. So, so are we allowed to know whether we'll be hearing of this house again, Ian, in the series? <laughs> Oh, I, I, I think I think we go through to the final. Yes, that's what we know so far. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, when uh, is that on? Do you know? Well, there, I, there are seven. I think there are seven programs. Yeah. 
choose one from each week. So then, uh, then we'll all be put together. We'll have to see. Yeah. Well, what we saw last night, you have done something beautiful. That's you really have done something gorgeous with 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 a classic building. And Amanda does not give out tens, and she certainly doesn't almost come close to tears. <laughs> at the at the drop of ass, so she doesn't. The last, Ian, how did you feel when they agreed totally with you? Your favourite spot was the art studio because like, that's where you work, and that was your favourite spot in the house. And they were really taken with that. Is that kind of the when I looked at it back this morning? Is that the like the the heartbeat of the house that almost in that space in that room you're creating the changing face? Of your home, absolutely. That's what what I do. Uh, that that's where I'm sitting right now in the studio. In studio, yeah, next to that spot, because well, that's where I spend all, all my time, and uh, the stuff that I do in here goes out and is tested to see if there's any good on the big stone wall. So that's yeah. why the work changes a lot. Yeah, and um, but yeah, everything new comes from in here. And uh, this is where I think and create, really. So that's why it's so important. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, you've created, between you, between the two of you, you've created a most beautiful home. And we hope we'll see it again at the end of the season of Home of the Year, Ian Humphreys and Sarah McCarthy. Uh, Thank you both. Congratulations on getting so far. There's the thing, though. Go back and watch it. Uh, It's on the RTE player. Uh, I watched it this morning on the player. Um, Ian Humphreys and Sarah McCarthy their most beautiful schoolhouse in, in, in West Cork have a look back at it just have a look back at it it's, it was had originally been converted into a house but they've taken it to the next level and think when you're looking at it of taking such a classic look classical old house and keeping the vintage and putting all modern insulation modern wiring modern plumbing modern everything into it it's an incredible job of work. Well done, you two. 0818 96 96 96. Right, on bottles and cans. Ellie says, Volvic water, six-pack, big bottles have gone up in the past few weeks from around 560 to over not What? Over €9. Euro. Price went up first to 6 and then they added the charge for the bottles. Well, six-pack of big bottles, 6 by 25, that's 150 I think, isn't it, Ellie? 150 uh, and then if it was 560 and they put 150 on top of that that's 720 and then it went up to nine, oof, wow ask PJ why is the price of butter going up 4 euro a pound when it's made in Kerry <laughs> I don't know Mary I really don't know uh, yeah the butter's made down the road the best bit of all though Mary is the butter's made down the road and we have to import it uh, yeah, I, I know, I know. It doesn't make sense to me either, Mary. A bottle of Volvic Touch Fruit was 69 cents before COVID in Duns. Then it went up and up and up. Then, before the new tax came in, it was €2. Euro. What? Now Duns have put it up to 2 25 plus tax. 25 cents. Now it's 2 45 An absolute disgrace. Went from 69 to 2.45. That's a hike. Take off the 25 and that's still 2.25. So from 69 to 2.25. 
for a drink since before COVID. Well, the bottle of water that I get, it's the Tesco's two-litre bottle of water, before COVID, or before, yeah, before before COVID, that was 40 cents. And now it's 95 plus the tax. 0818, that doubled. 0818969696. This is engaging people. This, and look, calling it a bottle tax is a misnomer, but sure, that's what we're calling it anyway. Regarding cans, some pubs sell minerals in cans. Do they charge you 15 cents even though they're taking the can back themselves? That's a very good point. Could any publican let us know? Another place that do that a lot, actually, would be club bars, clubhouse bars, like in GA clubs, rugby clubs, soccer clubs, golf clubs. If you, if, if you go to a, if you buy a Coke in a GA club, I'm thinking of maybe Nemo. If you buy a, if you look for a Coke in Nemo's bar, you get the can of Coke and a glass with some ice in it. Uh, is there 15 cents going to go on that and are they claiming it back? That That's that's actually a very good point. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Susan on RTE. Susan, your question is way beyond the level of my intellect. I mean, way, way beyond the level of my intellect. I'll try and get the answer though. To protect, brought to you by Cork's 96 FM, the IBI, and funded by Commission Naman with the television license fee. Check out ours to protect.ie for more info. This week on Ours to Protect, we will look at Ireland's first green, eco-friendly and gentle alternative to flame cremation and burial. An important decision in the lives, or thereafter, of many is funeral planning and what to do with the remains of loved ones. The two most common methods are burial and cremation, but these both have considerable environmental costs associated with them. However, another method, resummation, is gaining in popularity, and Europe's first facility offering the service has recently opened its doors in Ireland. Elizabeth Oakes, the founder of True Reflections, explains how the process works. What water cremation is, is a very environmentally friendly alternative to flame cremation and burial. We use 95% water and 5% of an alkaline solution. And what that does is it speeds up the decomposition of the body. It's done under very controlled conditions and the family still receive an urn containing the ash of their loved ones. But what ashes are, they're basically calcium phosphate, so it's the bones of your loved one. In a flame cremation process, we would say that the flesh is burnt off the bones and then the bones are processed down to the white powder or to the powder that's put into urn and given back to the family. With water cremation, it's a similar process. Except we have to remember our bodies are made up of 70% water to begin with. So once we bring ourselves back to our chemical components, which is amino acids, peptides, sugars and salts, what's less than are our bones. And then we process the bones back to the white powder that's put into the urn and given back to the family. So I studied over in America in 2004. I went over to America to get a degree in mortuary science. So I'm a funeral director and in Bama as well. And they were using this technology in the body donation program in UCLA and that's where I saw it and it's been a long struggle to bring this whole concept and technology to Ireland but we're now open and thankfully it's been going very well so far. While cremation and burial are the world's two most popular forms of disposal of remains they each carry a significant environmental cost. On average cremation releases 400 kilograms of CO2 into the atmosphere per body. On top of this 
The prevalence of dental fillings means the process also accounts for a significant release of mercury. Meanwhile, the use of carcinogenic formaldehyde in the preparation process for burial means that the dangerous fluid will seep into the ground as the body decays. This is not to mention the significant space costs that burial entails. Resumation, in comparison, has a significantly lower carbon footprint than either method, as Elizabeth explains. Well, it uses 10 times less energy. The family actually receives 30% more of their loved one because it's such a gentle process. All the prosthetics are completely unharmed and can be recycled or donated. And as well as that, the water, once it finishes the process, it goes for treatment and it's completely sterile before it's released back to the system. The process itself in the machine takes about three and a half to four hours. It depends if the person has been embalmed or not. We will have the ashes ready the next day. As the process becomes more widely known, it has increased in popularity. Ireland is the first country in Europe to offer the process commercially, but legislation is currently being debated in the Netherlands, and Elizabeth believes it is the way forward. It's just really in the last, I suppose, ten years, it's gained huge popularity. I was only talking talking to a funeral director in America last week and he has both a flame cremator and a water cremation facility and he said 95% of families will now choose the water over flame cremation when they're given the option. We work in affiliation with all the funeral directors nationwide so if somebody passes away, the family can now go into the funeral establishment and just like they would have asked for burial or cremation, they can now ask for a resumation. And we have our own chapel on site in Navin for the final committal and that's then where the machine and everything is based. If you would like to know more about resumation or the environmental impact of the disposal of remains more generally, check the show notes of this episode. <laughs> to protect. Brought to you by Cork's 96FM, the IBI and funded by Commission Naman with the television licence fee. Check out ourstoprotect.ie for more info. Thank you Stephen. Uh, Ours to protect back next week. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With the Furniture Centre Watercourse Road Blackpool. For sofas, beds, kitchen, dining and mattresses. Over 45 years in business. Thefurnituresentre.ie Cork's 96 I'll come back to that very intelligent question that I was way too intelligent for me that we were asked before 11 about licenses and RTE and signals and what you should watch and what you can't watch because I am confused by this question. But Dave, Dave, you are you're moving back to Cork from the UK in March. Good morning. Morning, PJ. How are you? Very good. Very good. How long have you been over there? Where are you? What part? Uh, so we're living in the southwest, uh, by down by Devon for the last eleven years or so. My partner's from here originally, but we're uh, moving back to Cork in the middle of March. And um, yeah, so basically, what it is is we've got a four-legged friend, a little cat who we've okay. had for the last seven years, right. and we don't particularly want to give him up. Obviously, he's part of the family and that. Now we have catteries and stuff lined up, but it's going to be for a number of months, and we're just wondering: is there anyone that knows any information? on fostering basically is like we'll obviously fully supply everything we'll fund it all you know we're not looking for it free or anything but we think it'd be better for him to go with someone for a number of months if possible than put him into a cattery into a pen for like you know it's probably realistically going to be anywhere between six and nine months while we wait for our house to be ready so I was just um, going to ask you why you need him to be fostered 
Yeah, so basically we're moving back and we're obviously waiting for our own house, but temporarily we're going to be living with my parents for yeah. probably between six and nine months while we wait for the house to be ready. And once the house is ready, then obviously we'd like to have them back. But like I know there's calories and stuff. We're actually in talks with a couple of calories and stuff. Yeah. And I'm just thinking, like because he's kind of part of the family and our daughters, we have two daughters, one's uh, six and one's he just turned a year. Yeah. And like he's they're, they're, they're really close to him and stuff. So like we don't really want to give him up as such yeah. but what's, what's his name is, is it Tom Catcher his na- yeah his name is Pablo yeah he's a lovely little fella to be honest like, you know, he's I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big cat person and if I if it wasn't for the fact that A I can't keep Tom Cats in, in my house and B I already have two cats I'd nearly offer but but I can't yeah. I can't. Um, yeah, no, I completely understand that. I will. I'll send you through a picture there now once we finish this call so you can have a look off him. But what kind of a cat is he? Um, is he just a, is he just a moggy or is he, he a purebred or what is he? Yeah, you know, he's just he's just a short haired domestic house cat basically. You know, yeah. he's he's just he's just a normal cat. Yeah. He's quite a big cat in fairness, but right. he is he's he's just a no, he's just a normal old boy to be honest. Good. But like I know people normally uh, on about dogs and stuff like that, but it's just a case of like I suppose he's he joined PJ at the end of the day. He's part of the family. Of course, and you don't really listen, want to pal. I have two like, cats. You know. I have two cats myself. Two old deers at this <clears> stage, <throat> and uh, and and like they are, they are really are part of the family. So I completely get. I completely get where you're coming from. The problem with Tom's and moving them, you have to be careful moving a Tom because they're very territorial. Yes, that is true. Now, our fella, he, for his younger years, he was an outdoor cat. But to be honest, for the last kind of, I suppose, 18 months, near on two years at this stage, he's just a sofa cat, really. Yeah. He's just like sitting down cuddling. He's, what is he, seven or eight now? Yeah, yeah, he's exactly. just turned seven. So yeah. he's he's still got a number of years left in oh. him. He's obviously fully neutered. He's got his all his jabs up to date. Right. You know, he's got his pa- his pet passport to come and travel about us back and stuff. Yeah. So like we have a couple. We're in talks with a couple of carries and stuff. So yeah. like that is the option, obviously there. But we're kind of wondering if anyone knows of anyone that does kind of short, medium, to even to long term fostering. Like I said, PJ, we'll fully fund Everton. We're not. Looking for anything for free, like okay, we pay okay. every needs and you know anything that needed to be paid, we'd pay. But yeah. it's just more the point of not getting them in the cattery, you know. Basically, you don't really want them to be in a cage, as it were, for the next. Even exactly. though some some categories, categories. Now I don't know if you've come across them. I know the one in particular that we send our girls to when we go on holidays. They have a thing called a catio. That the damn things they actually have a. It's like an apartment. They have a window. Right, okay. They actually have a window. And the win- in the summertime, they take the the, the, the owner takes opens the window. It, there's wire there so the ladies can't get out. But they have a cattery yeah. and they can lie in the sun. And it's well, catty. what I might do is, if you don't mind, is I, I'll get that information off you because we'll actually make contact with them. That would be a good option. Like basically, what we're a little bit worried of is, is we just don't want them sitting in a pen. You know, if he yeah. had access to the outside and stuff like that, then that's completely. Yeah, he can't actually obviously. get out. They can't actually get out. Yeah, yeah. But they can yeah, get to yeah, the yeah. sun and lie in the sun and bask in the sunlight. E- yeah. e- exactly. It's just more the case of we don't really want them stuck in a cage. Basically, if you get right. me, you know, like I'll, I'll send you. I'll send you a number. Is the problem is fostering dogs people will foster them. the problem if you're not a cat if you're not someone ha- like here's the thing with cats and Tom Cats in particular yes you say he's an indoor sofa cat now but bring him to a new territory one of the first things he's going to want to do is explore and he could vanish exactly. on you that's your problem I know 
I know, I know. I he know. needs a bit of security. A concern. Yeah. It is a bit of concern, all right. And this is the whole thing. Like, I, I understand, like, you know, the, the whole idea of the cattery is kind of for this. But like you said there, like, we ha- we actually use a cattery here. We travel back and forth to Ireland quite regularly. So yeah. we do use a cattery here. And they have offered to have him and stuff. And there is a cattery that we are in talks with back back home in Cork as well. Yeah. Like, But what I might do is I might get the information. But we're just basically looking to see if anyone would be in a position where they'd be willing to maybe take him for a couple of months okay you never know PJ you know basically that's all it is basically we're just trying to find out if someone knows anything or they have okay. any suggestions okay. basically well, maybe well, lots, of people, lots of people foster dogs that's that's the thing but does anybody actually foster cats so Dave wants someone to foster a little tom cat he's about seven he's a house cat uh, a home, he's neutered and vaccinated and all those things his name is Pablo yeah. we, get a, yeah. we get a picture sent Send us on a picture, and if anyone would have experienced how to foster a cat, um, then we'd we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, please, if you don't mind, PJ, I really appreciate it. Any yeah. advice, even down the lines, and if you wouldn't mind, maybe sending me on the details that you use as well. I will we do that. Pop, pop me on, pop then, me on the picture, and I'll make sure I I won't I won't name them on air now because they'll have a queue out the front no, door. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I'm okay because no, I understand, my, that. I understand my, that. My, if if he does go there, he'll meet my ladies in the summertime, and they have a catty or book ah, themselves. Well, <laughs> lovely, that's very good. Well, PJ, look, thank you very much for your help this morning. No I bother. hope you have a lovely afternoon. Cheers, love the show, Dave. PJ. Take care, man. Thank you very much. Cheers. Caitlin from Devon, beautiful part of the world, beautiful part of the UK, Devon and down into Cornwall. They have a seven-year-old cat called Pablo. He's a neutered, vaccinated, healthy, fit tomcat, bit of a house cat these days. They're moving back to Cork, but they will need a place for Pablo to live for maybe six months. They'll go to a cattery if that's the only option they have, but they'd prefer someone to foster a little tomcat and obviously keep him safe. Cats different to dogs. The dog can't necessarily hop up over the garden wall or climb the fence, but the cat can. Any suggestions? Uh, and I will indeed send on the details of where my ladies go um, to to Dave uh, once we get a picture in of, of Pablo and you'd never know. 0818 96 96 96. There are celebrations in Carrig Tool. A story we followed on this show almost, almost since I took this chair uh, just over 10 years ago. We've been following it. And that is the story of the schools in Carrie Tool. They are celebrating. And we'll talk to them next. 0818-96-96-96. Listen to Lorraine and Ross in the morning and all day to play our big cash giveaway. We've taken banter bits from the breakfast show and bleeped out a word. And out a word. It's doing my headache. I've actually got a second. I'm going demented with this. All you have to do is tell us the word. Tell us the word. Say word, word. For your chance to win the cash. <laughs> Listen after 8, 11, 2 and 5 weekdays To play The Word The Word Only on Cork's 96FM Question about the home of the year Ian Humphreys and Sarah And does Ian sell his paintings? Clearly someone who was watching 
home of the year and saw the wonderful artwork. Well, we have checked that out and his paintings are for sale either direct from Ian at his home or stu- and studio or through the Merrion Gallery in Dublin, the Mill Cove Gallery in Kinmare, the Lavitt in Cork and the Blue House Gallery in Skull. Also on ianhumphreys.ie and Ian Humphreys Artist on Instagram. So there you go. Check his website out, www.ianhumphreys.ie H-U-M-P-H-R-E-Y-S all small letters dot I-E Happy to help 0818-96-96-96 Now Lorraine O'Connell um, we spoke before uh, throughout this campaign the school is open the new school is open Carrie Tool Community College what a big day it was yesterday good morning Good morning PJ it was just incredible I am Look, what can I say, 25 years later, quarter of a century, ribbons cut yesterday. It's just an incredible feeling. It's an incredible sense around the community here of something really momentous happened Mm. yesterday, you know. I remember talking to you, and it's going on eight or nine years ago now. You were trying to get it pushed over the line, and then it was halfway there, and then it wasn't there at all, and then there was no start date, then there was no contractor, but everything came through in the end. It did, and I suppose, look, it is 25 years in in the pipeline, really, PJ. It was in 2012, it was put on the rapid build. The temporary building opened in 2016 down at Photo Business Park. Now, to be fair, we had serious issues with the planning, as you can remember yourself, which went in and it was wrong and all of that that went with it. To be fair, what I will say is the sod turned in December 2022, excuse me, and we are now have three schools opened. So I have to, a big kudos to Rattigans, who were the builders there. They did what it said on the tin, December 22 to a 11,000 square metre campus open yesterday is incredible. That is, that that is some time. turnover. That's like barely 14 months. It is. And there's three schools there, PJ. So you've the two post, two primary schools, excuse me, schools, um, were Anefa and Carrigtool Community National School that was formerly Skullclina. And now yesterday, the third and the biggest, the largest school with Carrigtool Community College opening yesterday. Um, the community has, well, the children will benefit. And that's, I think, always, I, we did say this was for the children all down through the years, PJ. And this is what the children have now from yesterday. The biggest educational campus in Ireland I think it is um, at the moment you know it's incredible Some of it will be one of the biggest any of it's not the the actual biggest so there were happy tears I suspect they were it, it's, I, I just said to Emer there a little while ago it's hard to believe it has actually happened um, we started off in 2016 in Carrigtool Community College with 45 students and 17 staff I mean yesterday there was in excess of 750 students and 80 staff walking the new road parading themselves down there it was just incredible PJ incredible an amazing sight and it must have been for someone who's been there since day one yourself as a campaigner and there were times I think in fairness over the years, Lorraine, there were times when you were there with your head in your hands going, are we wasting our time? Of course. I mean, look, these times come as well, PJ, when you're looking at such a large development as this in a small, relatively rural area. Now, did we envisage at the time back then? I mean, 25 years ago, I wasn't involved. So even before 2016, you had seven or eight years of people who went through all these meetings and processes before that. Their children 
and, and it's very sad for them that their children haven't got an opportunity. But I think knowing these people myself, they will be glad that it is opened now. There'll be no, you know, they won't be sorry it's opened or anything like that. But it's just, I suppose, we have battled with our local politicians here. You, you know that as well, PJ, I over the years. I, I mean, for 25 years, this has been going on. Um, they have been exceptional. We know we had, you know, we've gone head to head with a few of them on a few occasions. But in particular, David Stanton and Sean Sherlock, from day one back 25 years ago, both of those guys were there from the beginning and I think at a meeting one time David Stanton said when the school is built I'm retiring now David's actually retired yes, so yeah. hope, <laughs> hopefully he there's, actually there's a politician who kept her promise <laughs> <laughs> one of the few one of the few PJ one of the few but look I suppose to thank them in particular because at every single meeting when we had the May Day parade up to the village a few years back Sean and David plus others were there but those two in particular Mm-hmm. and our local councillor, I suppose, Anthony as well, Anthony Barry. Everyone has done their bit, albeit not fast enough, PJ, but it's, it's done now. Good, good. Well, uh, may, may everyone who goes through that school have a happy and joyful education and, a bit of, and, and, uh, and go on to great careers uh, from down there. Thank you so much, PJ. And again, you've always given us plenty of airtime when we needed it in the past. So really, thank you so much there to yourself and 96FM as well. We do always did appreciate it and we still do. Always happy to, to help whenever we could. Thank you very much, Lorraine O'Connell from the pressure group. The pressure group there from Carrie to No, <laughs> I must say, there's one for Friday. I know Dave Stanton of old and I know he won't take any offence to me saying this, but he promised them that he wouldn't retire until the school would open. And when the school would open, he would retire. School is open and David Stanton is retiring at the next election. Ladies and gentlemen, a politician has kept a promise. Stop the presses! <laughs> oh, 0818 96, 96 96 Now, there is an event tomorrow in Los Angeles uh, to commemorate a Corkman. You will remember that uh, on the 18th of February... 2023, a man called Bishop David O'Connell was shot dead at his home in Hacienda Heights, Los Angeles. None of us, well, unless you were from Glenmire and that surrounding area, we had no idea who he was. We just knew that a bishop with an Irish name had been shot dead in Los Angeles and then it emerged he was a Cork man and that he'd been working in Los Angeles for decades now, there's a man called Carlos Medina who has been charged with murder, and that's before the courts at present. So no more shall be said about the case and where it might go. But he'd worked in Los Angeles for 45 years, had Bishop Dave, as they called him. He was originally from Brook Lodge in Glanmire. And one of his great friends is Father Chris Ponnet. And there will be a mass said for Bishop Dave's anniversary uh, this weekend, Saturday in fact, uh, it's the end of a religious congress that's been going on there for the last week or ten days with tens of thousands of religions involved in it but uh, Father Chris Ponnet and Dave O'Connell were, they were friends and colleagues for many years um, now we learned, Father Chris after his death what you already knew that he was quite a remarkable man, and a bit of a legend. Good morning. Good morning. Yes, David was a blessed bishop, a blessed, uh, just an inspiring person, 
both as a priest and then when he became a bishop. When did you first meet and how? So I'm a little younger, and I was working in downtown L.A., and he had been he was working as a pastor in South Central. We worked together on a number of projects, especially ending the death penalty. A lot of my earlier years with him had to do with that. And then uh, I'm a priest in the San Gabriel area outside of L.A., and he became our local bishop, and so I worked with him on other issues there. But, yeah, just an amazing both spiritual person. He has the wonderful Irish humor, very focused and authentic. And um, the shock of it was, I mean, it's still uh, many of us uh, this weekend at this Congress are talking about the shock that still remains. When when did you first hear about his death uh, this time last year? I was at my parish, St. Camillus, when the the, uh, email went out of the diocese and then it hit the news shortly thereafter and every day since i uh when i say mass i pray for the holy father bishop jose and bishop david of happy memory so i've been doing that the last 365 days bishop david of happy memory yeah that's lovely yeah it's really lovely do you know we didn't know anything. I, I think only the people who knew him best, the people of Glenmire ah. and his local community here in Cork, knew of him. It was a, a huge shock to us, obviously, to hear of his death, but to hear that, ah. that, that a Corkman had been doing such incredible work with the poor and others in, in Los Angeles, ah. it was a huge surprise to us. Yeah, uh, as a Corkman who came to L.A., I mean, he jumped into learning Spanish and working in South Central, which was primarily an African-American community. Uh, you know, there were a lot of Anglo local priests that wouldn't want to go there. And David just jumped in and, you know, just became such an advocate and a voice, uh, both for the Spanish community there and the African-American community. Uh, he became an advocate for... Um, young people to get out of gangs. Sadly, uh, during that period of time, there were lots of killings, and so he he became, you know, just a voice of compassion at funerals and uh, with his Spanish and just his compassion at heart. So he was just so well-loved. I spoke to a reporter at the time of his death, and, and she remarked to me that he, he worked... Five days of the week, he would speak nothing but Spanish. He was so embedded in the in the Spanish communities. He was attracted to the poor, and he was attracted to the underprivileged. And they accepted him, this total stranger. Yeah, a Spanish with a Cork accent, as we say. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I heard. Yes, they yes. did. Because he was authentic. Uh, you know, as you said, I think if he just sat in the parish and said Mass, he might not have had any inroads. But because he walked the streets and was listening to where people are at and heard their pain and, you know, would would be kind of straightforward to a gang member to say, you need to get out of that. You, need, you know, look at your mom and the effect. I mean, he was just very authentic. And um, it was very inspiring for so many of us because of that. He, yeah. he could have easily gone to a middle-class American community and been a great priest but uh, 
he made that choice very concrete and and just became well loved by that community i know when when they named him bishop it was very painful for them to have to let him go to do the next thing that he was going to do i read about him that he was so respected that even even rival gangs would talk to him yes very true he must have had an incredible gift with people did he oh very much so yeah yeah he listened well and so he knew what what is your issue why are you angry why are you uh in grief and then he would you know took away the anger so that you could have a a conversation about you know why is things so bad in this part of town and why are why are these communities so left out of the american dream and why is this person your your gang enemy and they went to the same grammar school or went to the same church when they were growing up and the gang numbers and the gang deaths were just you know just you know just every day there were dozens of people dying and so father greg in east la and father dave in south central were you know just took on that that approach that these are human beings let's be with them let's listen to them let's get people to talk together all those things he he brought it together in, a, in an amazing wonderful way he stopped many young men didn't he from getting into the gangs and got some of them out yeah correct yeah that was definitely part of his passion was to both hear why they were in the gang what what's the economic and social and religious problem here and then how can we get you out so i know at uh, times he helped fund some of the gang members to get out so that they can start a new life without the peer pressure without the gang pressure and another part that he he did a lot in regards to education so he he supported uh, some uh both high schools and other elementary school just to, as a way of getting out of the gang i read an interview recently father chris with a man called bill chapman who who spoke about oh yeah bill father dave and the lgbtq community he worked with many people in that community talk to me a little bit about that yeah i'm the spiritual director for the gay and lesbian ministry for the archbishop and bill is one of, has been one of our lay leaders yeah and yeah bishop dave just you know he was very consistent whether it was a gang member or a lesbian or transgendered person you know you are a child of god god loves you how can we accompany you and then when people were being prejudiced against the gang or the gay and lesbian person he was out there fighting trying to bring sometimes you know he was he would help bring gang members but around the gay and lesbian issue he would bring priests together to say wait a second why are you saying these negative bad things you know these are your prisoners these are your yeah. these are the children or the brothers and sisters of of your high school students and he was very consistent about i think he was trained well in cork uh <laughs> and he brought it here in the sense of you know just a consistent message of god's love god's justice we worked a lot on the death penalty together and he was one of the bishops that would be interviewed and speak out when in California we were trying to ban it 
uh, eventually we we got a moratorium so that we're not executing but he was very much a voice in that community too going back to the gay and lesbian transgender group it's an issue and a reality for many people but in the latino community there's just a whole nother level of shame he was able to in spanish with spanish-speaking parents get them to realize that their children are their loved children and then he would just always be wanting them to accompany their kid not to abandon their kid mm-hmm. to make sure that they were supporting their and i'm saying a kid but very often it was the young adult person yeah. to make sure that they knew that they were loved and welcome. Because isn't it the case that in the deeply religious Hispanic community, there was a very, there was a very negative attitude to gay and lesbian people because of what the church was saying at the time? Exactly. No, very true. Yeah, so our ministry uh, here in L.A., in English and in Spanish, works at trying to educate so that parents and schools uh, move away from that that old prejudice that was there to be able to bring to bring people to speak uh, and um, tell their story within the latino community if a bishop says something they they take it a little more serious yes and yes, yes. and so bishop david could say things and they would say ah oh, they would listen. Yeah, and if a young man had been rejected by his family and his community because he was gay, Bishop Dave, and I heard these stories, he would walk right into that community and challenge them. Yes, very much. And uh, during the, the late 80s and stuff, as, co- as HIV and AIDS hit all of the communities around the world, but in L.A., uh, he would be often presiding at funerals, and he used those moments to speak about God's love and God's acceptance. and So I think those moments, whether it's a gang member funeral or a person with HIV and AIDS, he was, once again, consistently talking about God's love and acceptance. Yeah. You, you may or may not know that, that we call ourselves the rebels here in Cork. Dave was a bit of a rebel. He, he, wasn't afraid, oh, yes. he wasn't afraid to stand up to the teachings of his own church, for example. Very true. Yeah. He was able to say, you know, the church got this wrong and the church doesn't know the story. And so part of his hope was to tell other pastors and priests, you need to accompany these people and hear their story. So he was very strong about that. And then when when he was given the gift of being a bishop, he was able to take that to a higher level. He was part of the Catholic Conference of Bishops in the United States. California, and he, like you said, he was a rebel in the sense of, you know, we don't write off people. We have to, uh, you know, what how people are being treated in jail is inhumane and unchristian. He would, he would be speaking to all of that, and he would go to San Quentin and the jails at least once or twice a year. Uh, San Quentin is where we have people on death row. Yeah, and he said mass very often at our juvenile hall jails as well as the adult jails as you said he he used his place as a priest and then a bishop to bring out that rebel sense of things have to change and we can't just keep going on with what's been going on yeah we we, we are very proud of him uh his, his native city 
Yes. Father Chris, how will you most and best remember your dear friend, Dave? Um, he was just always present to people. He would always be available to be with people that other bishops would not be to. Sorry. It's okay. And I, one day I want to get back to Cork. I was there once. My my mother's ancestry is Sullivan, Breen, and Ryan, and so I, I spent five months in Ireland on sabbatical. Right. And uh, the beautiful part of the world. So thank thank you all for remembering Bishop David. And thank you for sharing memories of your friend, Father Chris. Thank you. Thank you. Ah, thanks, thanks, Chris. Uh, emotional moments there as they prepare for that mass tomorrow. No, look, if you're of a mind that you'd like to watch it, you can. There is a live stream of that match, ma- mass, match, mass that will be at six o'clock tomorrow, our time. Uh, a hail Mary for Bishop Dave dot com, all one word, small letters. A hail Mary for Bishop Dave dot com. That match, or that match, mass, mass, PJ, mass. That mass will be live uh, tomorrow evening, our time. Um, thank you, Chris. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With the Furniture Centre, Watercourse Road, Blackpool. For sofas, beds, kitchen, dining and mattresses. Over 45 years in business. Thefurnituresentre.ie. Quartz 96 Lastly today, a man uh, formerly retired after, at one point, I think up to the time of his retirement, he was the longest serving staff member at the Examiner. And a man that I would regularly meet out on my days as a reporter. He could turn up anywhere to photograph anything at any time. And he often did. I speak of Dennis Minahan, how are you, my old friend? Well done on your retirement. Congratulations. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you very much. That's very kind of you. Thank you. Yes, I often met you over the years at different events. It could be anything. It could be anything. It could be anything. Absolutely. We had a different schedule every day. We never had two days the same in any of, our, any of the photographers. Never had two days the same in our career. We could be at anything, as you say. Yeah. You were at, absolutely. actually, Bishop Dave's first Mass as a priest, they tell me here. I was. I was just. Uh, that was the bishop. Uh, God rest his soul, Bishop David O'Connell, who who died who died in Los Angeles last year, wasn't it? Yes. Yes, I heard. I heard some of your interview. I did pictures at his first mass in. I think it was 1979. Thank you. I did indeed. Yeah, yeah. I did indeed. That's a, a while back now. I think it was was at Town Church. I think. That's right. If memory serves memory serves me right. Yes, that's right. You joined that's Dennis. Right. You were very young when you joined the examiner. You're still a young man, but you were quite sure you were very young when you joined the examiner. <laughs> uh, did, did you have aspirations to be a photographer from day one? Well, I, I joined in '76, and from aspirations, I suppose uh, I grew up in a in a house where it was a newspaper house home, really newspaper house, newspaper home where we had a small news agents and shop and. Uh, my father was a photographer with the examiner as well, having tried uh, tried his hand at many other things prior to that with the army or milking cows and fishing and everything. And he ended up he ended up uh, joining the examiner, and we had a we had a news agent. So that it was like 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 it is has been for me through my career. In those days, we lived in Skibbereen, and he was the same. Never two days were never the same for him when he was working with the examiner was a photographer he covered an area from 
and then to Jersey Island. That's a, that's a pretty big area, PJ. Indeed, indeed. That's indeed. A, and a and car, cars were slower and roads weren't as good. Roads weren't great now, and he was a staff photographer there. And uh, in the my my youthful young days, when I was very young, uh, my, I uh, sometimes got up uh, to help my father deliver the papers. I didn't do it too often, though, because it was very early in the morning, and uh, probably wouldn't uh, wouldn't have been the best at getting up that early. But I did a few times, mm. and uh, he'd meet, he would meet the examiner van arriving, and later in the day, actually, he would meet the echo van as well. But in the morning, he would meet the, meet the examiner van sort out the papers, put them on display in the shop and then go and deliver the newspapers. And I went with him a few times and we had a we had a pet family dog called Bruno and he would accompany my father. So he got Bruno got to know which house the paper each paper was being delivered to. And my father would roll up the paper, not in a tight circle, just in a sort roll it up reasonably reasonably small and and have it kind of flat. Yeah. And he would put a put it into a sleeve and uh, I remember he he would put the, the paper sometimes into Bruno's mouth and Bruno would head off walking down the street with the paper in his mouth and stop at the door, <laughs> whichever. Bruno Lovely got to, memories. Bruno got to know... Bruno got to know the houses as well as as we did. <laughs> I was reading, Old English wrote a lovely piece about you in the examiner this week, and he mentioned that you joined the dark room. Now, a lot of people, Dennis, these days, when everyone is a photographer and ha everyone has a camera on their phone, we wouldn't remember what a dark room was. But even taking a picture then, so you might go and be sent to an event in, for argument's sake, Bantry, and because, you had to yeah, get yeah. back with that picture get it developed, which a lot of people don't remember anymore, get it developed right. and get it ready for the paper. It was, That's right. The, yep. the change over all those years of technology was incredible. Massive, yeah, massive. I, I suppose I was lucky in, my, in the fact that I got the job through having had some experience because we had a dark room in our house in Skibreen, so I was watching my, my father printing printing, uh, developing the films and printing the photographs. And so I tried my hand at that. And my sister Anne, who's also a photographer in Skibreen, was the same. A few years later, she was she she did the same. So we, we learned that way, which made it obviously was a great help when I went for the interview for the job in the examiner. I had planning, been planning to go into journalism because I used to write articles, uh, short articles for the examiner and the echo when I was in school. Mm. covering local events in Skibreen, maybe, you know, AGMs of community events or sporting highlights or different things like that. And uh, at the time, the I used to get paid one one penny a line for every line that was in the paper. <laughs> and uh, and if you had a headline then over it, it was, uh, it was three pence a line. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I had a nice bit of pocket money. Excellent. I went to journalism and I got the job then in the in the dark room. I remember Donald Crosby, God rest his soul, said to me, Dennis, you're on a six-month trial, and to be honest, PJ, I never heard back. I've yeah. heard nothing well, ever good. since. <laughs> and in, uh, what people wouldn't remember about a dark room, Dennis, younger people, is like a dark room was such that if you made one mistake in that process, a photographer's entire day's work could be gone. Could, yeah, it could be gone, especially in the developing of the film, because that was just a one-off. You you had to be very careful developing the film, and it was in you know it was in total darkness. You were loading the film into a tank in, in complete darkness, and uh, putting it in, you could put on the light, then put the chemical when the cover when the tank was covered, and put in the put in the, uh, the chemicals, mm. and then when obviously when the film was the time was up for the film to be developed, you had to turn off the light again, 
and take the film out of the tank and transfer it Amazing. into into a, another chemical, which was called a fixer. So it was a developer first yeah. and then fixer. And Amazing. then after that, you washed the film, dried it, and looked through the negatives and yeah. saw what you had. And then you had to go and print each negative. You put yeah. the negatives into an enlarger, and you you printed the pictures on Amazing. the enlarger then. So it was a, quite a different different uh, different. Totally days, different. Yes. Totally. And now, now you just send it. What was the first assignment you ever had? I want to ask you about a particular picture for which you're famous, but uh, the first assignment you ever had. Honestly, I can't remember, PJ. No? <laughs> Forgive me, I cannot remember. I, because I used well, to. Well, the first some... one you remember then, the first one that stands out to you. I suppose certainly one of the main ones that, that stands out at that time would have been the Betelgeuse tanker explosion in Bantry. Yes. Which was on the 8th of January. Was that your photograph on the front of the examiner that morning? No, that was Richard Mills, because Richard obviously was Ilzy. there some years before Ilzy. me. Richard yeah, was a yeah. much more experienced photographer. Yeah, so Richard, that was the aerial picture. Richard was out, over on a, out on a plane taking aerial photographs, and I was on the ground. Yeah. I went down. Yeah, I was, I was on the ground doing, doing photographs. And my, actually, my father covered that as well. He was he was probably, he was the first one person, photographer, probably on, this, on, on the scene that night. Mm-hmm. He... Um, I spoke to recently to Don McCarthy, who was the sub-fire officer in Skibreen Fire Brigade on the night when they got the call. And uh, Don said to me when he was running out the door, he 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 uh, he shouted at his wife Joan just to to ring Mick Minahan and let him know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> that that's uh, you know that that's. That I, I remember so. that. I remember that myself, yeah. and I remember the pictures, the, the dozens of pictures. I, I forgot it was Millsy's yeah, picture yes, on the front page, but all the other pictures were. were, were and, was, and I had time when we didn't they, really have were, much live television. Uh, pictures to go. Yes, we, yes. we got our pictures. There, from the there obviously were a number of a number mm. of photographers down there. I've no doubt. Michael the the, Lani, the yeah, one for which you're Barry, famous, yeah. Dennis, is the one <coughs> that it was the after the Air India disaster, which I think was 1983. Tell me the circumstances. Did you just on spec put your camera up to a window to see what you'd get, or what exactly happened? Uh, yeah, I suppose it's a. <laughs> A sad picture to remember, remember for in some it ways, is. but yet I, but you, I it's a picture you could have been a millionaire out of only if the examiner owned it. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose it it told it told the story. I suppose really, all right, PJ. As well, I w- I didn't know that on the night, but I, uh, uh, the following few days, when I realised the enormous enormity of the tragedy, and uh, my heart goes out to all those hmm. those poor families. God love them. For I, people I, who wouldn't I, remember, you you accidentally years. snapped yeah. the morgue. Well, I, I, um, that, that I remember, the, I remember the day well. It was the twenty third of June, nineteen eighty five, and it was a Sunday night. And I was asked, would I go out to the, go to the regional hospital? There was a press conference on there. I'd been in Thurles earlier in the day working at two hurling matches, so I came back in the dark room was packed with photographers from different, all different countries had arrived, and uh, I was asked to go out. Went to the press conference and. I think the some of the international photographers thought that they would be allowed to take a photograph in the temporary morgue, and they and they weren't. I think that's something they had probably done in other countries, but they weren't allowed to do it on the night. And uh, so I walked around outside afterwards, and I found where the temporary morgue was, and I could see just see from the distance in the door. But uh, I uh, knew I had no chance of getting in to get a photograph, so I went around the back of the building. And I could see, I could see the the remains. God love us, all the remains inside. And uh, there was a net curtain hanging from. The, it was a high window. I could see just in over the bottom of the window, and there was a net curtain hanging down. So I could not get a photograph, PJ. And I was there for quite a while, waiting and wondering and not knowing what to do. And uh, 
saw somebody coming over to the window and I thought I had been seen. Yeah. And that you went back around, went back around and what they had, that person had done is uh, he had opened the window higher up. He had opened the window at the top and let some air in and the curtain just started to blow very slightly. And uh, I managed to get, managed to get seven frames in a, a gap. I had about a two inch gap to get a, a seven frames and that that was it yeah. uh, that was that was they were the only shots i got i don't remember the wind yeah. curtain blowing back in no. anymore after that. it just happened it was a, just two seconds and uh and it was gone and i managed to get seven frames and in the in the photograph the, the main photograph i got uh the top top third of the uh the photograph is the bottom of the net curtain <laughs> and the thir- bottom third of the photograph is actually the windowsill so it was a very narrow narrow gap but if you so search your india India, if you search Air India disaster photo morgue on Google, it will still come up. It was a, it was a, 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 just a moment you caught in time. Is that the one, Dennis, lastly, is that the memory that will stand out of your career, that one photograph, or is there another one? There are other memories, I suppose. Meeting, meeting, uh, <clears throat> meeting Mother Teresa at Cork Airport was just magnificent. Right. And then also meeting the, the conjoint twins, the, the Ben Half Half twins. Oh, the Ben Half Half, of course, and, yes. And being down, being down at the house, uh, yeah. we own English had arranged that, and we went down to the house, and uh, it was, the Ben Half Half family didn't know what to expect from us, and we didn't know what to expect from them. Yeah. From them. But uh, we had chatted and uh, just got to know each other, and after a while, Angie said, to the two of us to own and I would you like to hold the babies which was just an incredible yeah. moment I mean they were only about eight weeks old at the time and we did and she said I'll take photographs of photographs of ye and she she took photographs of us and it's uh, memories that uh, photographs that Owen and I would I no doubt will always, will always treasure that's a treasure and you know, that's yeah, yeah. So, so your, your treasured photograph separate. is one you didn't even take yourself. Dennis, old pal, well done on everything. The 27 awards over the years, and God knows how many wonderful photographs of, of many, many moments. Happy and sad. But uh, Dennis Minahan, retiring uh, this month, retired, in fact, this, just this week from uh, the Examiner. Thank you so much. Uh, and there are pictures somewhere on his files of my two youngsters at one point or other too. Thank you very much, Dennis. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With the Furniture Centre, Watercourse Road, Blackpool. For sofas, beds, kitchen, dining and mattresses. Over 45 years in business. Thefurniturecentre.ie Quartz 96 FM.